Well, all right. What's up, everybody? You guys okay? Doing all right? Um, so, thanks, Chad. Appreciate that. We've done that before. Um, well, hey, super excited to be kicking off a brand new series tonight uh, called Follow. Follow. And you guessed it, we're going to be talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, the idea, I love this idea because the idea of follow has never been more prevalent. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's never been more in front of us. Uh, social media and technology has literally uh, taken this idea of follow and it has revolutionized and redefined what it means and what it looks like to follow. Uh, that social media and technology has redefined and revolutionized how we follow and who we get to follow. Uh, you can, it's never been easier to follow ideas, to follow people, to follow personalities from all over the world, whether you know them or whether or not you don't. Follow. You can't, we can't kind of, uh, you can't live life without talking about following. In fact, it's kind of changed like the social landscape of our culture. It's changed even the relational landscape of our culture. Like I want you to think about this. 10, 15 years ago, you did not walking around, you did not walk around talking about who you were following. Like that language and that idea just didn't exist. Like it would have been a weird question, like, hey, do you follow me? Like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Like it just did not exist. There was nothing for it. Um, there was no drama like, oh my gosh, they didn't follow me. I'm going to unfollow them. Like that did not exist 10, 15 years ago. Uh, right now, because of uh, how prevalent it is, um, it's made some relationships more complicated. Like breaking up is now more complicated because of how prevalent following is because now you have to keep also, you can unfollow people. You notice this? That when you break up, there's like a second breakup on Instagram. You know this. Like you break up the first time and it's hard, but then it's like, when do I unfollow them? If that breakup is kind of harder than the first one, you know what I'm saying? It's like hitting the unfollow button kind of hurts a little bit. And then you're like, do I hit it too soon? You know, and then you never want to be the first one. And then you are, then you regret it later because you're emotional. And then you go back and you're like, oh, they're private. I don't want to request, you know, and just, it creates a little bit of drama. You know what I mean? Like th that wasn't a problem 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, but, man, there have been some friendship in this room that have ended because there wasn't a follow back. Like it just, it, it matters for whatever reason. Like we think about it. I mean, that stuff wasn't, wasn't a thing 10 to 15 years ago. And this idea of, of following, it's just become so normal. Uh, it's become so fluid. This fluid concept, we're following, unfollowing people, following, unfollowing, following, unfollowing. We're, I got this new follow. I go, oh, this is a good follow. I need to follow this person. And it's so seasonal. Seasonal to the season of life that you're in. Uh, seasonal to who you're hanging out with. Um, you might be following people just for fun, you know, on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, because it's, it's a good follow. It just makes you laugh. Uh, might, you might be following for connection. You've got some friends that you're following. Uh, you've got people that you've known for a while that you follow. You've got people that from high school, or even from middle school, that you're like not even really friends anymore, but you kind of are nice to each other. And you give each other a double tap every now and then, and you just kind of stay connected, you know, on Instagram, so you follow each other. You might follow for information or news. Like I get all my sports highlights and important news and even like world news on Instagram. I follow ABC, Fox News, and I get all my sports highlights from Instagram. So, you know, the idea of following and unfollowing, it's so fluid for different reasons. Uh, you've got seasons of your life where there's some friends in your life and you're following them, but then seasons of life change and you're not following them anymore. It's so fluid. It changes um, that, that we can follow people and typically how we do follow people and what social media and technology is done, it's a great thing, I'm not hating, but we follow people at a distance. You follow people at a distance. You follow people through a medium. You follow people at a distance and, and there's no commitment. 
Like, there's no commitment. Like, when you hit follow on somebody or you're following somebody, it's not a forever thing. Like, you're not marrying to following them. You're not signing up for anything. In fact, you can unfollow someone as easily and as quickly as you followed them. That's how fluid the idea of following has become. That's how noncommittal the idea of following has become. You can unfollow, you can follow, you can do whatever you want, you can do whatever you feel like when it feels good, when it's inconvenient to be following or it's convenient to do to follow. It is fluid. And I just find it so fascinating. I find it so fascinating that we live in a time where the idea of follow has never been more prevalent to any of us. It's never been more prevalent to, to, the, to the population that we are currently living with. And the idea didn't really exist 10, 10 to 15 years ago, but what I find so fascinating is this idea of follow, while it did not exist to the degree that it exists today 10 to 15 years ago, it was a massive thing during the time of Jesus. In fact, the very invitation of Jesus that launched a movement that changed the word, the world, started with an invitation to follow me. I find it so fascinating that today the, the world has redefined what it means to follow, but back in the first century, Jesus had in mind what following meant. And I can't help but wonder if in some ways the way the world has redefined what following means for you and for me that has kind of leaked into and spilled into the way that we think about following Jesus. You've heard this, right? You've heard people talk about following Jesus or, or you might say that I'm a follower of Jesus. What I've kind of felt is that the idea of following Jesus has turned into more of a belief statement than like an action statement of your life. That following Jesus is like, yeah, I, I, I believe something about Jesus. It's like this identifying mark, like I believe these things to be true about Jesus, but somewhere along the way, and I think it might be because of the fluidity in which we, we, we think and talk about following today, that it's lost some of its tangibleness and concreteness. That back in the first century when you followed Jesus, and we're gonna get into it in just a little bit, you quite literally followed Jesus and it changed your life. But it seems to be the case today that it's a lot easier just to say that we follow Jesus, but it's more of just things that we believe and not the action behind our lives. And isn't it so easy? It's easy to follow Jesus like the world teaches us to follow everybody else, follow people at a distance. Did you know that you can follow Jesus at a distance? I don't, yeah, I go to TLR, but I don't, I don't want to get too close. If I get too close, he might see something that I don't want him to see. That you can decide when you want to follow Jesus and when you don't want to follow Jesus. It might be seasonal for you. That you follow when it's convenient, you follow when it, you don't follow when it's not convenient. Like you're all about Jesus on a Wednesday or you're all about Jesus to certain times, but then like when, when, when this person calls or when that person comes over or when you see her or when Friday night rolls around, it, it's really easy. Okay, I'll just put Jesus over on the side for just a moment um, and I'll, I'll follow when it's convenient, but I'm not gonna follow when it isn't convenient. That somewhere along the way, Following Jesus has become just as fluid as following or unfollowing somebody on Instagram and it's lost some of its concreteness, it's lost some of its definition and it's lost some of its tangibleness. And so what I wanna do throughout the series and what I wanna do tonight is just as the world has redefined what it means to follow, um, I want to recapture the significance of Jesus's invitation to follow to you and to me. I wanna recapture what he meant and what it should mean for you and for me and why this invitation is the greatest invitation that you or I could ever receive. So to do that, I wanna give you a little bit of historical context 
around what people thought about, specifically the Jewish culture in the first century when they thought of the idea of following someone. So Jesus was a rabbi. Uh, rabbis were, the, were the, the most highly respected people in a first century Jewish culture. Like they were the people that everybody looked to. Um, they were highly, highly respected. And rabbis, teachers, that's what they were, that's what they, were um, they, they had disciples. So they had people that, that followed them. They had people that they taught, that taught. They taught the law to and they taught their ways to. And the disciple wanted to become just like the rabbi. Now, um, rabbis in this first century Jewish culture... Um, which is where the New Testament, that's kind of the time frame of the New Testament, uh, or especially the Gospels even specifically. But um, there was this, this uh, educational system to try to figure out which disciples could cut it as a rabbi. So there's this, educa- this tiered educational system. I learned this uh, from a guy named Rob Bell many, many years ago. I heard him talk about this when I was in high school, and it's fascinating to set the tone of the culture. That the, the, the first educational tier, if you were a young Jewish boy, um, was called Bet Safer. Now, bet safer, you were um, six to 10 years old when you were in uh, this, this world of schooling. And in bet safer, you would learn the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And not only would you learn them, that you were in this for six to 10 years old, and you would memorize the first five books of Torah. Imagine that. They, that's what they would do. But, but here, th- that was the first level. And then the best kids, the best boys out of bet safer, then they would move on to the second level, and it was bet Talmud. Now, not everyone went from Bet Safer to Bet Talmud, only like the ones that really crushed Bet Safer. That if you just kind of did okay in Bet Safer, like if you were kind of like a C student in Bet Safer, even like a B minus student in Bet Safer, you would just kind of be asked to leave. You'd be done at 10 years old and you would just start going to pick up whatever your, the family trade was. You would get into the family business and that you would start getting into what your job would be. But the best of the best would get into Bet Talmud and that was up until 14 years old. And then you would memorize from Joshua all the way to Malachi, the rest of the Old Testament. And you would learn it and you would learn it and you learn it. And then, the highest tier, the best of the best from Beit Talmud would then get to Bet Midrash. Bet Midrash was from 15 years and up. And, and Bet Midrash was for the elite of the elite. Like this is the Harvard boys. Like the best of the best made it to Bet Midrash. That you might have made it through Bet Safer, but if you were not the best in the best in Bet Talmud, then you were out, you would go and you would pick up the family business. But Bet Midrash, like that puts you in position to be able to follow a rabbi. That put you in a position to maybe even be a rabbi one day. That you were the best of the best, you were the elite if you made it to this point. And you've gotta understand that rabbis were the most highly esteemed people in that culture. So studying under a rabbi, making it to Beit Midrash, studying under a rabbi was the highest honor that you could receive. In fact, your parents, if you got to study under a rabbi, your parents would experience the highest honor. Like there would be nothing more that you would want for your kid for them to study under a rabbi. Like the closest thing that you can get to is for some of y'all, your parents just were so relieved that you got into college for some of you. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, or you graduated first grade. Like whatever it is, like it's the, it's the whatever, you know, it's the, I put the, the test on the refrigerator kind of proud, okay? Like the highest level of proud that your parent could experience would be if your kid got to follow a rabbi. And what these rabbis would do after Beit Midrash is they would identify the best ones. They would identify the ones that are most elite. And they would identify the people that they felt like had what it took and they would in turn become a disciple. And this tiered educational system was a way to weed out the people that weren't great. It was a weed out course. Don't you hate those? 
I had a course in seminary, or in, uh, at UGA, it was finance, intro to finance, and he's, he told us it's a weed out course. And he says, the way that he grades this class, 5% of you are guaranteed to fail. I was like, okay, you must love your life. Uh, but it's a weed out course. That what this tiered educational system was meant to do was to weed out the average from the great, the ordinary from the extraordinary, the bad from the good. And to follow a rabbi was everything. And for the people that got kicked out because they were not good enough, they just kind of got to do the lowly things. There were always a little few rungs below a rabbi. So suddenly, with that in the back of your mind and with that as the context, when you look at Jesus' call in the New Testament, when you look at who Jesus called and how he called them, it takes on a whole new meaning. Look at this, Matthew Chapter four, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. This detail is not just for fun, it's on purpose. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, at once, at once, they left their nets and they followed him. Next verse, going on from there, he saw, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Again, family business. They're with their father. That's not an unnecessary detail. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed Jesus. Now, again, Think about the tiered educational system. Jesus comes up to these uneducated, ordinary men who are now fishermen, and he says, hey, you, follow me. Jesus, who would have been a respected rabbi at this point, he shows up to these fishermen who clearly, who clearly did not make it through the educational system. I mean, they probably barely got out of bed safer. And there's no question, they took on the family business, the detail of being with your dad, that they're fishing, like they could not cut it as a rabbi. In fact, it is most likely that they were rejected by another rabbi. And so they took on the family business. I'm not good enough to do that. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have what it takes. So I'm just gonna take on the family business and be a fisherman with my dad. And Jesus shows up to these ordinary, uneducated ones that rabbis rejected because they were not good enough and said, hey, I want you to follow me, and immediately they got up and they followed. A little while later in Matthew, Jesus, as he went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and he followed him. Now, first, he's with these fishermen who are ordinary and uneducated. Now he shows up and he's in front of this tax collector and you've got to understand, tax collectors were the worst of the worst sinners. In fact, in the New Testament, they've got their own class of bad. Have you ever noticed in the New Testament, it always says that Jesus was with the tax collectors and sinners? Like they're so bad, you can't even group them with the sinners. They got their own category of bad. And the reason being is because these tax collectors were Jewish people who were backed by the power of Rome to collect taxes from other Jewish people. And do you know what they would do? They would collect just a little bit more than they needed to and pocket it, and nobody could tell them not to because they were backed by the power of Rome. 
So they were sellouts of the worst kind because they stole from their own people. They stole from the poor and nobody could tell them no and in the process lining their pockets and they got rich. So morally corrupt. Like Matthew's mom was definitely not proud of him. And Jesus shows up to this Matthew. He's already got a band of fishermen behind him and he shows up to this morally corrupt tax collector and he says, hey you, follow me. It's like, what is Jesus, what is, he, what is he doing? I mean, when you put that in the cultural context of who actually got to follow a rabbi, what he is doing is absolutely mind-boggling and crazy, and it was unheard of. But now, if you've ever read these stories, and maybe you've seen it for the first time, like maybe now it makes sense why they dropped everything immediately and followed. Have you ever thought that? Like why, like, like why in the world did Matthew... He just got up immediately and followed. You ever thought, wondered why? Have you wondered why Peter and Andrew just dropped their nets immediately and followed this man named Jesus? Have you ever wondered uh, why, why James and John just left their father hanging and went and followed Jesus? I always thought it's because the gospel writers were just minimalists and they're like, ah, we're just gonna leave unnecessary details out. You know, there was conversation you would expect. Hey, follow me. Uh, cool, yeah, real quick, just before we get to that, uh, where are we going? Uh, is this paid or unpaid? Uh, minimum weight, more? Could, vacation, 14, day, 10 day, 10 day, 12? It wasn't because they were minimalist. Listen, the reason why the text is so clear about the immediacy and the leaving and the getting up and doing it immediately was because there was no greater honor than following a rabbi. Here were these rejects here were these dropouts. Here were the ones that maybe made it out of Beit Sefer or maybe into Beit Talmud. And then rabbis were saying no. And here comes a Jesus that's saying, hey, I see something in you. It was the greatest honor that for them following Jesus wasn't I have to. It was I get to. And come on. How often and how easy is it to see following Jesus as an inconvenience to the lives that we want? That following Jesus is so often, oh, I have to, rather than I get to. And you cannot miss what Jesus was saying and what he was doing here. That he showed up on the scene to these fishermen. He showed up to the scene to this tax collector. He's rounding up all these misfits and dropouts, the people that were rejected, the worst of the worst, the people that were uneducated, the people that were not good enough. And he gives them an invitation to follow. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, I see something in you that nobody else sees. But what he's also telling to the world is that the invitation that he has to follow is for everyone. He looks at Peter and he's like, hey, Peter, I know that, I know that you weren't good in bait safer. I know, in fact, I, I heard your test scores. We don't even need to talk about that because that was real bad, but don't, it's, I, it's awful, but it's okay. I see something in you. In fact, in fact um, you're gonna be one of the guys that leads my church. And he looks at Matthew and he's like, hey, Matthew, I know you made it to Beit Talmud. You, you could have gone to, the, you, you, you were close. You were on the, you were on the your application was, eh but you could have made it. You could have made it to Beit Midrash. 
But, but, but then you lost your way because you saw money and you wanted to make money and became a t- I, I know all that, but, but listen, Matthew, I see something in you. I know what your story is, but, but I see something in you. And you're really good at details. You're really good at counting money. You're a tax collector and you're really good at counting your own money. But listen, I've got a kind of detailed work for you that's gonna change the world. You know what you're gonna do? You don't even know it yet, but you're gonna be the one that's gonna write the gospel of my life and people are gonna read it thousands of years later. I want you to follow me. And so they dropped everything they had. They gave up their lives as they knew it and they followed Jesus. And here's what you have to understand is that here's what Jesus is saying to you and here's what he's saying to me is that it does not matter who you are. Hear me tonight. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what you do or don't believe. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what your struggles are. It doesn't matter what your present looks like. Here's what you need to know and hear loud and clear is that the invitation to follow from Jesus is available to you. That just as he looked at the ordinary fisherman and the morally corrupt tax collector, he looks at you and says, hey, no matter who you are, where you are, I want you to follow me. I heard this from Andy Stanley when I was in college and I've never forgotten it. And here's what you need to understand and why this is so powerful is that change is not a prerequisite to following Jesus. No. Change is a result of following Jesus. That Jesus knew where they were and he knows where you are and he's calling you to follow as you are and where you are because change, no, no, you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You don't have to get educated before you come to Jesus. You don't have to put your morally corrupt side before you come to Jesus, Matthew. No, 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 just follow me and the result of that will be that you will change. That for a young disciple following a rabbi, like what they would do is they would do everything they could to imitate their rabbi. They would wanna be just like their rabbi. In fact, there was an old blessing of the day. This is so cool. There's an old blessing of the day and what people would say to these young disciples, you ready? May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Hey, you young disciple, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what he meant by that was, and what the blessing meant was, hey, for you young disciples, may you be following so closely behind your rabbi that the dust from his sandals and the sand from his sandals that is kicking up as he is walking, that you're following so closely that you're just caked in that dust. That you're following so closely, that you're following so passionately, that you're following so intimately, that you're choosing to follow, to imitate as much as you can. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That following Jesus will change you. Following Jesus, I'm telling you, it will transform you. That as you follow Jesus, you will love, look, and live more like Jesus every single day. And this is, this is so cool. In Acts chapter four, it says after the resurrection of Jesus, he's given them the great commission and, 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 the, and the early church is expanding. And listen, in Acts chapter four, verse 13, this is so cool. When they saw the courage, the people that they were ministering to, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized, watch this, that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They're doing this unbelievable work and like the, the Pentecost happened, like the early church is happening and they're seeing this courage from Peter and John and they took note, hang on, wait, wait, they're ordinary unschooled, wait a minute, Peter? That, I used, I used to buy fish from Peter. 
Hey, wait a minute. That can't be. No, it is the same Peter. He had the best salmon. It's always fresh. Wait, John? Oh my gosh. I had bait safer with John. That man didn't even make it past Genesis. I, I can't believe. Ordinary, unschooled, and they were astonished at their courage. And they go, oh, 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 wait a minute. I forgot. I, I forgot. I heard about this. They were, um, oh, yeah, they were with Jesus. Oh, man, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. They were, they were with somebody different. They were covered in the dust. Will people take note <clears throat> by the way that you love that you've been with Jesus? Will people take note by the courage that you live with and the purpose that you walk with that, that you've been with Jesus? Will, will people take note by the way that you forgive that you've been with Jesus? Will people take note for you fellows in the room by the way that you honor the women in your life, the ones you're related to and the ones that you don't know and the ones that you date, will they take note by the way that you honor women? Oh yeah, yeah. he's been with Jesus. They were covered in the dust of their rabbi. And what used to be true of them did not matter anymore because Jesus changed them. Hear me. Change in your life is inevitable, but who you will become and who you change into is dependent on who you are following and what you are consuming. And Jesus invites you and me to follow, to be covered in the dust. That following Jesus will lead to the change in your life that you're not even really sure you, that you want, but it's one that you need. But that change... <clears throat> isn't free. The change isn't free. See, Jesus, back then, he was not your normal rabbi. He was not your typical rabbi. Jesus did things differently back then, and he's still doing things differently right now. That yes, it is true, that change is not a prerequisite to following Jesus. And yes, it is true that when you follow Jesus, you will change. But you know what else is true? That there will be a cost to following Jesus. Change isn't free. And we can't talk about how our lives will change as a result of following Jesus without talking about the cost of following Jesus. Because in so many ways, they go hand in hand. Jesus, later on in Matthew chapter 16, he's telling his disciples about what's about to happen to him. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he's telling them, hey, I'm about to go die, and I'll be raised on the third day. But Peter, Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus turned to him and he said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I would love to hear Jesus say that line. 
You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus says to Peter, hey, listen, I'm telling you how I'm going to change and save the world. But all you're thinking about it yourself. All you're thinking about it is your way. All you're thinking about is what you want. And all you're thinking about how is you're afraid of what will happen if I'm not with you. Well, guess what? I'm not here to live for you. I've got the things of my God in mind. So he takes this moment to teach the disciples something important. And he says, then Jesus turned to his disciples and he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, they must deny themselves. Let me just tell you, this is hard. And this is why so many people that you do life with at Kennesaw, at whatever school you go to, in college, why they don't want to follow Jesus. Because denying yourself means saying no to you. And that's hard. That denying yourself is setting aside your own will for your life. Relinquishing your life and surrendering your life to Jesus. It is you and I submitting ourselves wholly and completely to Jesus, that in those moments of tension in life, you felt them now and you will feel them forever. That in those moments of tension, when what you want is contrary to what Jesus wants for you, denying yourself is saying no to you and saying yes to Jesus. That in those moments where, where you wanna go out with those people, but you know that's contrary to your conviction, that's saying no to what you want and yes to Jesus. That in those moments when you're gonna be tempted to act in a way that, goes, that forces you to put your integrity aside, it's saying no to me and saying yes to Jesus. That it's in those moments of tension that you will experience for the rest of your life saying no to you. I'm telling you, following Jesus will cost you. Uh, for some of you, it might cost you relationally because maybe you're in a relationship that's just so unhealthy and so toxic and it's not leading to anything good in your life. And you know, man, okay, this is not God's will for me to be in this relationship. And you don't wanna be alone, but it's gonna cost you relationally. And for some of you, it might cost you financially that there are a small fraction of you in this room and maybe that, that you're gonna go into ministry one day and here's what I can promise you you're gonna have a lot of friends that make a lot more money than you. And you're gonna see it in the cars that they drive and in the houses they live. And there's gonna be a party that's gonna think, man, maybe I shouldn't have gone to ministry. Maybe I should have gotten a job that actually paid me money. It might cost you financially. For some of you, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna go on and make a lot of money, but maybe you're gonna get an opportunity to get a promotion but that particular job or that job at that particular company is gonna cause you to go against your convictions and saying no to that job is gonna cost you financially, but it's you, you know that is where Jesus is leading you. For some of you, um, one day you're gonna have a family and you choosing your job over your family is gonna look really, really enticing because the money looks really, really good, but you know, hey, first and foremost, my ministry is to my family. And so saying yes to Jesus, it's going to cost you. For some of you, it might cost you what you would consider fun in college. I would argue that it'll probably lead you to a lot of regret, but it'll cost you some things that you might consider fun in college. I really wanna be a part, I don't wanna miss out, I don't wanna be the loser that doesn't go, I wanna be a part of this, but this is what Jesus, it's gonna cost you. 
It might cost you a future dream that you have. Like, man, this is what I wanna do. I've been convinced this is where I'm going, but for whatever reason, God is closing these doors. And rather than fighting what I feel like God is leading me to, I'm just gonna go in his direction. And maybe it's gonna cost you a dream that you had, but God got something different for you. Saying no to you is hard. But then he says, but if you don't follow me, you also gotta take up your cross. Taking up your cross is to die to yourself. It's kind of like it's an intensified version of denying yourself, but I think it's one step further because when I think about taking and picking up your cross and carrying your cross and dying to yourself, Jesus, who was about to deny himself and he was about to carry the cross to which he died on the world for, when I read carry your cross, the way that I understand it is you are dying to yourself for the sake of others. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross. He died to himself for the sake of others the world. That for Jesus, the cross was the ultimate sign of obedience to God. That, hey, I am in this no matter what. And come on, for us, we live here in America. We don't walk around every day worrying about dying for our faith. But Jesus was preparing these disciples for that. And did you know that every single one of them did except one? And he was exiled. And we've got brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world that every single day, this is too real for them because they wake up knowing that their faith could maybe lead to the end of their life today, but they are carrying their cross. It's you and me saying that I'm in no matter what. And that's hard. In fact, it's kind of like three stages in in, in, in in following Jesus, the street stages, one of them is, 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 we're gonna go, to, yep, there it is, curious, convinced, and committed. That for some of you, and you see this in the New Testament, actually, I learned this from one of my seminary professors, that there's people who are curious about Jesus, they wanted to come here and teach, and they were attracted to Jesus, and maybe you're curious about Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, and you're in this curious stage, and that's an awesome place to be. But then, some of you will get to a point where you become convinced about who he is, you put faith in him. Like you, you're convinced he is who he says that he is. But then there's another stage and it's committed. It's when you begin to deny yourself. It's when you begin to say no to you and yes to Jesus. Here's the problem is that so many Jesus followers stay in the convinced stage. So many Jesus followers just stay in the convinced stage. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Um, but I'm, I'm, but I'm gonna keep doing this little thing. I, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I really like her. Yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus, but that's a lot of money. You know, I believe in Jesus, but I really, I mean, I, I really want that. Like, can we just bend on this one thing, one time, God? Like, you're like, meet me halfway and I'll meet you halfway on the next one. That it's so easy to stay in that convinced stage and not get to the committed stage where you're actually beginning to deny yourself and daily taking up your cross and really concretely, tangibly, not just saying it, following Jesus. Following Jesus is going to cost you. It is. It's going to cost you. And it's not always going to feel good. Sometimes it's gonna feel like a death. Sometimes it's gonna feel like you're missing out on something. Sometimes it will be frustrating, but here's what I can promise you as well, that it's worth it. The cost is worth it. And Jesus in the very next verse tells us why. 
He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He's using this beautifully constructed logical army. He's saying, hey, listen, whoever wants to save their life, you can do that. Like, I'm telling you, you can do this. You can save your own life. You can try to hold on to your life. You can pursue the things that you want and stiff arm Jesus out of everything. You can chase money. You can chase things. You can chase that person. You can chase that thing. You can chase the fun. You can chase the experience. You could live your life and you could spend college saying yes to you and only you and no to Jesus. You can do that. But here's his point. You try to save your life, you're gonna lose it. You know why? Because eventually, Anything that you've accumulated is gonna be gone one day. That the relationship that you had, even if you get married to that person, one day that relationship will end because one day we're going to die. And guess what? You can't take anything you've accumulated with you. You can't take your money with you. You can't take your things with you. You can't take the status with you. One day, it's all gonna be gone. So you could try to save it, but in the process, you're actually going to lose it. But then he says, however, 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 whoever loses their life for me, whoever surrenders their life for me, whoever lives their life daily saying, I'm gonna say no to me as best as I can, whoever wakes up daily saying, I'm gonna keep the main thing, the main thing, whoever says, I'm gonna do my best, I'm not always gonna get it right, but I'm gonna surrender all that I have to Jesus. I don't wanna leave any area of my life untouched to Jesus, that that person actually finds life now and later. That the person that actually gives their life away to Jesus, instead of trying to hold on to it, actually saves their life. They actually find life, not only on the other side of eternity, but a fulfilling life here and now that no thing or no one could ever satisfy. Here's what I want you to understand is that following Jesus will cost you something. Following Jesus will cost you something, but not following Jesus will cost you so much more. I'm not going to lie to you, it will cost you something, but not following Jesus will cost you so much more. And do you know why I can say that with such conviction? Because you can't put a price tag on fulfillment. You can't put a price tag on your soul. You can't put a price tag on purpose. You can't put a price tag on hope. And you can't put a price tag on peace. And you can't put a price tag on security. You can't put a price tag on redemption. You can't put a price tag on grace that says no matter what you've done or who you are, there is forgiveness waiting for you from your heavenly Father. You can't put a price tag on that. So yeah, following Jesus, man, it's going to cost you something, but not following Jesus is going to cost you so much more. And I don't mean this as a threat, and Jesus didn't mean it overly emotional. He's just making a logical argument that hopefully will make you and I stop to think like, oh man, when you say it like that, Jesus, okay. So what I want you to do, one of two things, depending on who you are and where you are, one of two things. For some of you, you know what you to do? I want you to stay curious. I want you to stay curious. Like you're curious and you've been curious. In fact, you came to TLR because you're curious and you've been curious about this Jesus thing for a minute. 
you saw these living room t-shirts, you heard we did free dinner, and you got curious. You're like, okay, I heard Jesus fed thousands of people with you know, fish and bread, let's see what this is about. You know, um, like you're curious. And here's what I want you to know, if you're curious, man, I want you to stay curious. Like, did you know that you can apply the principles of Jesus to your life before you fully believe who he is? Try it, I dare you. Watch your relationships get better. Watch things in your lives get better. Not that your life will be perfect, but there will be things that you have struggled with. And I was like, man, maybe this Jesus guy knew what he was talking about. I want you to stay curious. You know what you do? I want you to show up for the rest of this series. I want you to ask questions. I want you to ask questions. Maybe you ask, ask your friends questions that brought you. And ask us a question. I want you to ask questions. You know what you should do if you stay curious? I want you to read one of the Gospels. Read the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest one. It's the easiest to get through. Just study the life of Jesus. Just, just read about it. I'm not telling you need to believe it. Just read about it. Read the life of Jesus. Be curious. And then, this is kind of crazy for some of you, but, but what if you just prayed? What if you prayed to God? And what if you said, hey, listen, I'm curious about Jesus. Show me something that I haven't seen before. Tell God that you're curious and tell him to show you something that you've never seen before. I want you to stay curious. And then for the rest of you, you know what I want you to do? I want you to get dusty. Let's go. I want you to get dusty. I want you to get dusty. I want you to move beyond the convinced, and maybe some of you have been there for far too long, and I want you to begin to be covered in the dust of your rabbi, covered in the dust of your savior, not because it's honorable, but because he's a savior that conquered death. Like what areas of your life have you been stiff-arming Jesus out of? It could be one area, it could be two areas, it could be a really small area. And I want you to get dusty. And I want you to surrender that to him. What priorities in your life need to change so that you can begin to follow Jesus better and more closely? What if you began to ask the question, what does love require of me? And you actually start to do something about it. For some of you, man, you've gotta get your hands dirty and I want you to stop, stop consuming at this church and start serving at this church. I love that you show up every Wednesday. That's great. It's for you, and you're going to consume and consume and consume. And you're going to tell us what you like and what you don't like, and you're going to like some things and not like some things. How about you started serving? What if you started being the hands and feet of Jesus here in this church? I want you to get your hands dirty. Anybody, if you don't want to serve at this church, that's fine. Go serve at a different church, but let's actually do something. I want you to get dusty. Uh, for, for some of you, man, I want you to take a genuine interest in lost people. That maybe you've got a friend that you've been trying to invite to church for so long and you just haven't been able to muster up the courage or maybe you just don't think about it very much. I want you to actually care about people that don't know Jesus. What does it look like to begin to deny yourself? Something you need to prioritize time with God, time with your Savior, time in the scriptures. Come on, I want you to get dusty. I want you to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And you will change, and you will grow. And come on, watch this. We get to live on the side of history after the resurrection. Come on. Jesus built this whole movement on himself. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And then he died. When you build a movement on yourself and then you die, that means the movement should stop. But the movement didn't stop. 
The movement got bigger, and the movement multiplied exponentially, and here we are some 2,000 years later, and the movement has never been stronger. Why? Because he didn't stay dead. So come on. What if we really followed? There's no prerequisite to following Jesus, and following Jesus will change you, but it will cost you, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. So come on. Stay curious, but let's get dusty. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you that the invitation to follow is for everyone. And thank you that the invitation to follow is one that will change us, grow us, and one that will make us look more like you. Father, I pray you would... um, you would whet the appetite of the person in the room that's curious. I pray you would speak to them in a special way this week. I pray you would reveal yourself to them in a unique way this week. And Father, for the person and for the Jesus follower in the room that's been convinced for far too long but hasn't been committed, Father, would you give all of us the boldness and the courage to begin to get dusty, to get the clarity, to get more dusty, to begin to be covered in the dust of our Savior. Help us see more clearly to pursue Jesus more passionately. We love you. And it's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.